Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, nursing professor, and mom of four teens. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We will explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. My co-host for this series will be Pastor Brian Haynes, who will guide us through the spiritual impacts and help us grow our faith. Let's explore conversation keys together and get started. Welcome to episode 11 of the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, Social Justice how to talk to your teens about racism. I hope you have your copy of Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We are talking about book chapter 10 today. Well, friends, we have traveled through some very difficult topics together. Some of them have been deeply emotional, like mental health and suicide. Some of them have just been downright uncomfortable and, frankly, terrifying, like sex and sexting. But there is no other topic in this book that sparks immediate passion like this one. If we are really honest, simply hearing the phrase social justice likely evokes an immediate emotional response in you and a definitive direction. It's almost like a signpost, a turn signal, or a traffic light. Your brain immediately starts to go, quickly, in the direction of your deeply held beliefs. If we are really honest and vulnerable together, nearly all of us feel some degree of anger over this topic, although for very different reasons. Some of us feel angry it even is a topic. Some of us feel angry it is not more of a topic. Some of us are angry because we just feel misunderstood. Regardless, the learning point here is that our beliefs in this vein are deeply entrenched. When we have interactions with our teens, we are very likely to do a lot of lecturing and very little listening. This is always a dangerous place to be as parents, no matter the topic. When we press play on an often repeated lecture, not only are we not listening, but our teens are not listening either, which is the whole intent of delivering your lecture in the first place. The hard truth is, it just doesn't work. Saying it louder or more emphatically is also not a winning strategy. Conveying to your teen there is no room for conversation or compromise doesn't make them respect your beliefs. It just tells them the door is closed to conversation with you and they need to find other sources as an outlet for exploration. And I promise you, they will. This is a topic commonly discussed in teen circles, whether in person, in a classroom, in social circles, online. Remember, 
to influence your teen's worldview, you first have to view the world as they see it. This means you have to sit in the uncomfortable space of listening to things with which you may not agree. You have to seek understanding. I don't think anyone listening would say they are absolutely 100% right about everything on any given topic. I doubt you would say your view on any issue is absolutely flawless. So, in listening, you learn. You gain perspective. 1 Timothy 4.11 says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, and faith, and love, and purity. There are many young people who are demonstrating very well how to have courageous conversations about contentious issues in a way that is respectful and preserves the dignity of those participating. This is a great opportunity to serve as an example of having civil dialogue surrounding a difficult topic. While you're listening, Don't concentrate on finding a point of disagreement and then formulate your argument while the other person is still speaking. Instead, focus on listening actively to find any space of common ground. Is there anything about which you can agree? Even if it's a tiny little square. Start your response by saying, I hear what you're saying, and I think we can agree on fill in the blank. The most common reaction to this approach is surprise. People are geared up for an argument. They're expecting conflict. But starting with common ground will go a long way in creating goodwill and helping each person to lower their defenses and share honestly and authentically. Now, being honest and authentic, I want you to do a little visual imagery exercise with me. I know some of you are already thinking, I'm out. That sounds weird. I don't really want to do that. But just step out of your comfort zone a little bit. And I'm going to walk you through a scenario. I want you to think about what you're seeing. What colors do you see? What do you hear? What are you touching? Think about the scene in real life. Okay, are you ready? All right, here we go. You're leaving work and you're going to a social event after work. But on your way there, you realize you're supposed to bring some food and you don't have anything. So you're going to go to the grocery store. You're a little bit frazzled and frustrated with yourself that you forgot. As you pull into the parking lot, you see the grocery store is very busy, but someone is pulling out of a parking space and you feel a little sense of relief that you'll be able to take their spot. You put on your turn signal and you wait. In that moment, a car coming from another direction, the opposite direction, pulls in and you think, Surely, they're not going to take this spot that I'm waiting for. But sure enough, they do. As soon as the person pulls out, this new person pulls right in and gives you a very unfriendly hand gesture. You can't believe it. 
you have to park further away, it starts to rain and you don't have an umbrella. So you walk into the grocery store, find something to eat that you're not thrilled about, but you think it will do, and you get in line. The line is long. The person in front of you is writing a check. And you're so frustrated thinking, who even writes checks anymore? And you're watching them and you're willing them to hurry up and write the check. Meanwhile, somebody comes next to you in the grocery store line, someone who works there, and offers to take the person behind you first. And you think, I cannot even believe this. The manager is standing close by and sees your frustration and comes over to apologize and takes you over to another aisle so they can check you out. You leave and you're feeling even more frustrated and you get to the restaurant and you sit down and you tell your friend that you've just had the most irritating experience in trying to get to the party. Now you're probably wondering What in the world does this have to do with social justice? But really, the truth is, I want you to go back to that scenario you just thought about in your mind. What did the people look like that you visualized? What ethnicity were they? What were they wearing? How did you perceive those people? In research in this scenario, most people, when picturing the manager, for example, will picture a middle-aged white man. Now, you may have pictured someone different, but that's the point. We all hear the same scenario, but we see different images in our mind. I was recently in an academic setting in which the speaker was talking about issues of race. She asked a very large audience how many people had heard of critical race theory. Now, nearly every hand in the room went up. She asked how many people had negative perceptions, thoughts, or emotions about an element of critical race theory. Again, nearly every hand in the room went up. Then she asked if anyone could give a one or two sentence summary of the theory and their opposition. This time, not a single hand went up. Now, I am not here to debate the merits of critical race theory, not even close. And many times when issues of race come up, this is one of the first or second things that comes up in the conversation. And in fact, I see many conversations that start about race or social justice, and they go immediately to the topic of critical race theory. But my point is, especially for teens, the discussion is so much bigger than that. We need to recognize that we each have our own very unique worldview that was shaped by unique circumstances. We need to be willing to listen, and we need to be willing to learn from perspectives that are different from ours. Some helpful starting places are to know that adopting a colorblind approach ignores the obvious fact that we are all different. Each race, each ethnicity, each cultural background contributes to a wonderful mosaic that celebrates differences. This is a biblical concept that's beautiful. I often hear people say, I don't have a racist bone in my body. 
And as a health professional who has carefully studied all 206 bones in the human body, I can attest to the fact that you're right, no bones are racist. Racism is not in our bones. It is in our DNA. We all, every single one of us, have implicit bias, meaning ways that we see the world through our own experiential lens that we just don't recognize because we think this is the way the world looks. So if you're asking yourself, am I racist? I gently propose you are asking the right question of the wrong person. Asking your teen if they have witnessed any perceptions of racist behavior on your part, ooh, that is a scary thing to do. If you do it, you might feel unfairly attacked. You might feel misunderstood. You might feel insulted. And you might feel shocked or even outraged. But if you can move past all of that, and if you're really brave, you might feel grateful for a different perspective and the opportunity for self-reflection. Because at the heart of the matter, this is not a social issue as much as it is a spiritual issue. God gave us a ministry of reconciliation, beautifully illustrated through vivid imagery in the book of Revelation, depicting a great multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, all standing before God's throne and worshiping in awe. Well, it's time to welcome back Pastor Brian, pastor of Bay Area Church and Bay Area Christian School in League City, Texas. Brian, welcome back. Glad to be back. Well, we have talked about a lot of controversial and difficult topics, but as I was writing this book, nothing sparked more spirited debate than this topic, social justice. And that's saying a lot considering what we've talked about. But whenever anyone brings up the topic of social justice, it tends to just go immediately, you know, 90 miles an hour to that negative political place. And let's not do that here. Can, can we just reframe social justice as a gospel issue here today? Yes, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, we look through this political lens and, and really biblically, there's no need to reframe social justice. There is a, a biblical justice that begins with every person being created in the image of God. And it, while not followed by major governments of the world and all those kinds of things for me as a Christian, for all Christians, it should be understood that every person, every man, every woman is created in the image of God at a baseline. And because of that, deserves certain rights and respect um, just because they're human and created in the image of God. And so to me, social justice, while a, a kind of a political buzz, buzzword, I take a step, step back from that and just look at what is biblical justice. And that begins primarily with understanding how we're created, in my view. Uh, I think that's a beautiful way to say it. And, you know, so often when I have teens telling me they're talking about this at home, 
it does end up in a political argument. You know, parents are so passionate and they want to, you know, just make sure that they're telling their teen everything that is right or wrong about Mm -hmm. the political movements in the world. But really, teens are not interested in that. I'm sure that will shock no one, even though we still try that way. You cannot lecture your way into right relationship. And I know as a pediatric nurse practitioner that the way that kids are going to model behavior is by modeling what they see. They're going to copy what I do. So what are some practical actions that your family adopts to tangibly demonstrate love and respect for diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds? How do you live that out in your own life? Primarily through relationships. So we're intentional about being in relationship with people that aren't necessarily like us. So Christians or non-Christians. We... um, my wife's family is one side of her family is lebanese and so we have an inroad into the middle east that we probably wouldn't have otherwise Uh, and so that affords us the ability to sit with people of arab descent and have real relationship with people who are muslims Um, we have real relationship with people who are jews Uh, We have real relationship with people who have a different skin color and experience with us. And that's been our desire as parents is to demonstrate for our kids, as opposed to just having a kitchen table sort of conversation about the politics of things, but to demonstrate for our kids, like, this is what loving your neighbor is all about, is is intentionality and, and what it looks like. And so... That's what we've tried to do, and we've intentionally put them in situations where they experience that. And you've traveled to the Middle East several times and taken groups of people for teaching. And how does that experience change your view of the world and God's people as a whole? I think as you travel, you realize um, you realize you live in a microcosm uh, at home. And you typically surround yourself with people who are just like you. And to tra- to travel or to, to work globally gives you this opportunity to see there are a lot of people out there with a lot of different experiences and a lot of different understandings. And so to be able to engage them in love as a Christ follower, not as a white man, but as a Christ follower and to listen to them and learn from them. And Houston, where we live, is the, probably one of the most diverse cities in the United States. You know, we have this grand opportunity to know people in a sense of uh, relationship. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's really important. I think it impacts um, our way of thinking and way of parenting. Uh, and when our when our kids just this week we had an Israeli family in at our table four or five times. Uh, f- they're Jewish. They're not Christian. They're different than we are in lots of ways. They speak Hebrew as a first language. Um, lots of differences, but we laughed. We loved each other. We shared meals together. We had a blast together. Understanding. Um, each other more. And we just continue in those relationships. And so I think that's important. Uh, Tribalism is a thing in the United States of America and to bust outside of that is unique. Um, But I think we should try. Well, and that 
And the Israeli family you had visiting, I saw you post that you were even able to arrange a call from the International Space Station. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty awesome. To them at, at Space Center Houston when you were there. So for all of you space junkies out there, yeah, that's what it's like to live in Houston. And that was amazing. But Brian, what about those parents that this issue is just so triggering? And as soon as you talk about it, it's just you feel an immediate defensiveness and it's really hard to separate your emotion how can we how can we manage that and reach the heart of our teens? All right, I work with a lot of people like that. I have very strong emotion uh, when it comes to these issues. Uh, just after the George Floyd episode, such a difficult time in our particular city and uh, and in our churches, especially if we talked about the issue of the kingdom of God and racism and. Uh, what I found is that many people that are like me, that are white, suburbanite, um, really have a hard time understanding the plight of somebody else. And so I wanted to lean into those things with our church. I wanted to lean into those things with our family. I wanted to lean into those things with our city and, and help people understand um, our pixelated, experience on the planet does not define the whole. And we have to be people that listen to other people, even when it challenges our own understanding of who we are. Um, I participated in this, uh, this panel during that time that I got a lot of criticism for participating in. It was called What White People Need to Know. And it was hosted by African-American pastors in the city of Houston. The NAACP was there. Um, and several of us uh, evangelical sort of white pastors from the city, maybe four of us were there. I went to listen because I really wanted to know what am I missing? What don't I understand? What is your experience? And how can I help? I think that we as parents, if we could have a listening ear uh, into other communities, people's experiences oftentimes are more powerful than the facts. Mm -hmm. Facts are facts. Uh, they're always gonna be facts. But what people go through oftentimes is more powerful. Let me give you an example. The father-in-law is Lebanese. He's a hard time with Israelis because they're at war. His experience is he's been shot at by Israelis. So he has a difficult time with Israelis. Right? I don't understand that as a white suburbanite from the United States of America. I look at the facts and I think, well, you know, X, Y, or Z about these facts, but he has experiences that are profound, that, that, impact his way of thinking. Our experiences are powerful. The, the black and brown community, powerful experiences that impact who they are. Uh, the white community also powerful experience impact who they are. And so I think we as parents, no matter who we are, we as parents really have to work through how I have real relationship with people who aren't like me how will I demonstrate that to my kids? And how will I listen even when I don't agree? Mm 
Uh, usually we just want to scream when we don't agree <laughs> or post something on social media when we don't agree. <laughs> but if we could just listen and try to learn from someone else's experience, this would go a long way. Ooh, you just did a, a harsh call out there that was well-deserved. You're right, though. We need to listen. So often we're listening because we're listening for that little place where we can insert our disagreement instead of listening intentionally for places where we can agree, even if it's just a tiny little square. Well, my last question for you is how can we make the church a welcoming place for all of God's people? Mm-hmm. I think if we can teach the church about the baseline principle that every human is created in the image of God. I'm not sure pastors focus on this enough, uh, but it, it applies to all issues, whether you're talking about racism, whether you're talking about even like gender identity issues at the base, people are created in the image of God. Their experiences may be causing them difficulty, suffering, all kinds of things. They may have uh, confusion, uh, calamity, chaos in their life because of their experiences, who knows. But if we as a church, if we could understand, okay, all these people are created in the image of God. All these people are sinning in some way. It doesn't matter who you are. The Bible is very clear, like we're all <laughs> sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So if we could see we all have these flaws. We all have this, this desire to walk in unrighteous ways. And then if we could apply the grace that we require, uh, I think this goes a long way. And some churches do that really well. They uphold the truth while applying the grace and having a wide open door saying, you're creating the image of God. We want to know you, love you, and help you walk with him in true ways uh, and grace. And then other churches slam that door shut and say, you know, if you're not uh, this particular kind of person, you're not welcome here. And that's, I think that's tragic uh, and not the heart of Jesus. If you look at the heart of Jesus in the New Testament, what you find is he's always leaning into the religious leaders in hard ways, but to the the global, the kind of the world that's walking by, he's showing compassion and kindness and healing, even though they're, they're living in sin, yeah. right? And so I think we have to do the same. Those, as always, those are such great words of wisdom delivered with grace and truth. Thank you for sharing your experience. And I think everybody's going to want to be your friend now and come to Space Center Houston with you. Maybe. It's a great place. It is a great place. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Well, that concludes episode 12. Thank you so much for hanging in there. We have a couple of tough topics to go, but we're almost to the end of this series. Here's your homework. Read chapter 10 of Behind Closed Doors and do all the things. Your legacy letter is to write a letter about a person of color who has inspired you or deeply impacted your life, your teen's life, or the life of someone you know. And how has that changed you? You get to share that story. Find me on Spotify and check out the Unity-themed playlist. Last but not least, subscribe at drnursemama.com to access all the resources waiting just for you. 
See you next time on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, home of happy parents and healthy teens. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama show. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. You can find Pastor Brian at brianhaines.org or on Facebook at Dr. Brian Haynes. Tune in next time and invite a friend. Thank you.